1: How do you feel at this moment? And in this feeling, who would think of you and who would you think of? So. Oh. Hello. Welcome, everyone, to America Meditating Radio. That was Letting Go from Off the Grid into the Heart, meditation CD by yours truly. I don't think they make CDs anymore. Everything is being live-streamed, downloaded, this, and just on a little segment. Gosh, how times have changed. Did you all remember the time when we needed candles to keep the house lit, and now we have electricity I wonder how the candle makers felt when they realized that they were going to be out of business for quite a while. But I know candles are still back, and I know we sometimes light them for fragrance and some lighting, especially when the electricity goes. Then we need those candles, right? But our times are changing, and we are changing what we're witnessing in time. It's not that the time is changing us. I don't know. Maybe it is, but we are changing And we change on so many levels, whether it's through definitely experiences, but also the influences of what's circulating in the atmosphere, the messaging in the world. And if you're really paying attention, you realize that a lot of things that we never thought about or gave much interest to, we're realizing they were just props, they were scaffoldings, they are advertisements, they're just not real and they perhaps might have been serving a part of us that isn't really our best. When I was a young girl, it fascinated me how one can have everything on the planet and yet not be happy. And we've got people even today who have so much going on in the world and there isn't the joy. That means something at a soul level is missing, something at a sincere intentional level of how we can live and how we perhaps should be living is missing. But the age that we're in is the age of the confluence, that time between the dark and the light. And that's what makes it so fascinating, my friends. We're at a time in which we are walking through this path of absolute deep awakening. And we're becoming very much more aware of our role and our life in the world. Today I have a very special guest, television and film producer James Swigert. James has built, run, and sold several multi-million dollar award-winning production companies, and all while mentoring and coaching celebrities, rock stars, and movie executives. He's the author of the new book, If You Say So, My Story and How I Changed It to Save My Life, which discusses the power of the spoken word and the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves. The successes in James' life were hard-fought, and nothing came easy for James until he decided to change his story. He's now teaching others the same through his work as a mentor, motivational speaker, and life cheerleader. Today, we're so excited to welcome James Swigert to America Meditating Radio. Welcome, James. Thank you for joining us.
0: It's great to be here, and thank you so much for having me.
1: Well, thanks for the work. I mean, what got you into what I would say asking the right questions? questions what was happening with james at that time
0: sure i and thank you for the work that you're doing that lead in meditation was wonderful I, I got to add it to my own morning meditations you know i think that your audience is probably pretty evolved and self-aware and tapped into personal development and self-improvement and this book that i wrote is really i think or let's call it entry level people who are awakening. I love how you talked about that. It is a very exciting time in this world. And for me, it's almost like through the ages, you know, we've been transitioning from dark to light. You're seeing that and you pointed that out. And Mm -hmm. that's almost in my entire experience in this lifetime. I was born into a large family of 12 kids. And uh, in that chaos. And my mom also ran a daycare out of the house. So there were just tons of kids and we weren't wealthy at all. And we really struggled. As a result, I kind of got lost in the shuffle and I experienced sexual abuse, a lot of trauma that led to health issues that led to me finding alcohol and drugs at the age of 12, which led to Mm -hmm. serious depression and suicidal thoughts and ultimately a suicide attempt at 25. There was a lot of darkness in there. I was very, very lost, and I was hurt. I was alone. And at 25, it's when I finally hit some kind of bottom, as we all do, right? We're all going to be victims of something in life, and if we say so. But we're here to learn, right? And we experience adversity. And so what was amazing for me is that beautiful saying that when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And and when I Mm -hmm. asked for help, a number of teachers appeared, not the least of which was my late, great mentor, Bob Palmer who uh, really introduced me to a simple form of meditation that literally transformed my life. And he explained to me that when we start to do the work, to dig in and really kind of take a look at our lives, almost every single person has got some kind of childhood trauma, if not adolescent or even young adult trauma. Through those events, I created stories, stories that I'm broken I'm unlovable because everybody I love leaves because there was so much abandonment in my life with my father leaving, my mother leaving me for my stepdad and his kids and then my older brothers and sisters leaving, you know, on and on until, uh, you know, I guess a girlfriend goodnight on a Saturday night when I was 20 years old and she was killed the next day in a drunk driving accident. (laughs) And that was a big cause of my drug and alcohol abuse for the next five years. I literally drank at that for five years to try to kill the pain. And obviously that's not, you know, the solution or the answer. And so that worked until it didn't. But it was those stories that I created out of those events that I don't deserve love and that compounded the self-loathing. I'm talking about those stories that we tell ourselves in the dark when we're sick or we're tired or we're alone. And they're just simply not true.
1: Or, James, just when we're walking and moving around or driving in a car That story that goes on in our head, that is self-loathing. That's not true.
0: Absolutely. And I had this pivotal moment where I was in one of my stories, you know, again, believing I'm unlovable. I couldn't find a loving, intimate, committed relationship. And a friend of mine called him on the phone, and he was talking me off the ledge. I was really down and out. And he said, sit down. Get out a piece of paper. Grab a pen. Write down every word I say. He started with, do not believe everything you think.
1: And then he hung up. I love it.
0: I had to sit there and look at what I had just written, which was, oh, my God, I was believing these stories that just were not true. And we talked later. Of course, he he didn't just abandon me there, but he left me to think about that and to think about the stories that I was telling myself. And I realized the power of the spoken word is incredible. Yes. You know, Hitler and and the Nazis used the power of the spoken word for evil and for hate to almost destroy an entire race of people. He was almost successful at that. And so conversely, let's think about the power of the spoken word and and just even the power of your spoken words to lead us through that morning meditation. Incredible, where it can transport us. I'm a big follower of Don Miguel Ruiz and his book, The Four Mm. Agreements, and the first of the four agreements which is always speak in the direction of truth and love and never speak against yourself or others and a tall order sometimes. But for me, it's such a great ideal to aspire towards because that's really the deep dive of my book. And obviously, you know, when I went through homelessness and drug addiction and depression, I come from the street. So I'm a little more edgy and raw. My book is very raw and very revealing and I'm very vulnerable in the book only so I can reach out and connect to those people who are on the front lines of change, those people who are in the darkness, who have hit their bottom. And there's that great Abraham Lincoln quote that people are as happy as they make up their minds to be.
2: Mm -hmm. And
0: I honestly didn't know I ever had a choice. I thought I was just a victim of circumstance and that the dark winds of time were blowing me around and I was at their whim and, and not until I realized that I had a choice. And that's where the title of the book comes from. It's like I'm not here to convert anybody but I do want to let you know that you have a choice.
1: Absolutely, and everything that you have shared, it's like it's opening up so many thoughts that I've been having that are so in align with what you're sharing because one of the things I think you have been observing as well as many of us is the choice of the language in which we express ourselves or even the language that we hear other people expressing towards us or to the masses and I think sometimes we take for granted the power of words and we take the precision of maybe language and the origin of language totally for granted, especially now when we've got emojis and stuff. You know, haven't you found <laughs> yourself sending an emoji and you're realizing that's an entire sentence and you no longer really know how to speak to people anymore? I was at a friend's home the other day, and the kids were watching this cartoon program with just emojis. And I don't know what the name of the program is, but the kids were only communicating based on emoji. And I sat there with these five kids, and I go, so what does that mean? Oh, the cucumber means this. Oh, and the prince, I go, you're kidding me. Couldn't you just write a sentence? I mean, how are they going to cope? (laughs) What would be the language of the future? It's a new language.
0: Right? It's It's such an interesting –
1: It is. And I think why we're so absorbed right now is the language that we're hearing predominantly, the fact that the media has a lot of our attention from leadership or from kids. It has us feeling very uncomfortable because that isn't the origin of the language. That isn't the way to use words on one another. And so we have to be each other's cheerleaders to get out of this downward spiral of consciousness that we're finding our humanity in. So. Could you share with our listeners what is the life cheerleading that you've been doing and what it means exactly to be a life cheerleader? And why do you prefer that reference instead of life coach?
0: Absolutely. It's funny. I have a cousin who coached football, and I love, I'm love. i a big football fan and, and coached football outside of town. And, me too. Uh, Who's your favorite team? Me to a, I'm a, I was born and raised <laughs> San Francisco 49ers, so that's uh, my team.
1: I like the 49ers <laughs> too, but I've often loved Dallas as well. But don't worry. I love both. Okay.
0: I'm like Switzerland. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And and that was something that I hung on to. My father had worked at Keysar Stadium back in the day when the 49ers were a very young team. But nonetheless, my cousin invited me out to a high school football game. and He was a coach for this team. And I went out there. It was far enough away out of town where I didn't know anybody. I didn't know any of the faculty or the students or the kids. And and they had gone 0-4. They had lost all their games up until this game. And the papers had predicted them to lose. And what happened was is I realized, wow, I was looking at the body language of the team and the coaches and even the faculty and the students. They would kind of resigned to the fact that this was going to be a law. Right. And I didn't come there for a beatdown. And so when one of the kids on our home team had a victory, I was not just standing on the sidelines. I just went mental and started yelling for this kid, like, great job. You can stop these guys. You can stop these guys. And everybody was looking at me like, who's this crazy guy? Because nobody knew who I was, right? <laughs> and so I <laughs> just started cheering for these little victories and pointing out truths because they had bought into the newspaper story that they were going to lose this game. And I changed the story during the period of that game. And, and as soon as a kid got four yard, a four-yard run against the visiting team that we were competing, well, you can move the ball on these guys. And I just started yelling maniacally and rooting for them. And all of a sudden they started to look at me and, and say to themselves, my God, he's right. We're stopped. We're moving the ball <laughs> on these guys. And what happened was is they came back from behind to win that game. And subsequently, I found out later that they went to go undefeated through the rest of the season to the championship. And Mm. and that was the day that I discovered my gift, that my gift is to cheer others on, not in like what you're doing. And, you know, because someone asked me, they said, oh, so James, so you're like a life coach. And I said, no, I'm more like a life cheerleader because you already have the playbook inside of you. It's my job to help you go from your head down to your heart and your soul to crack that playbook open so you can win the game which is ultimately to be happy and to feel true joy and personal fulfillment. And that is success. And so that's what I do. I've had a very, very successful career. I mean, to go from being homeless to being a homeowner in Los Angeles and and having a great career in Hollywood, it's now time for me to, I just want to help people. I just want to give back. And so with my speaking, I've created a one for one program where for every paid speaking engagement I do, I do an unpaid pro bono, speaking engagement to inner-city schools, underfunded programs, charities. And so if your listeners have an organization they think can benefit from me coming in and motivating people to be able to change their story, whatever it is, you know, mm-hmm. please hit me up on my website because I'll come speak anywhere. I want this message to be inclusive because I've done a lot of radio shows and podcasts and TV shows. And you know those audiences are people who are, are already buying into this school of thought, but the yeah. people who really need the message are the people out in the trenches and I do a lot of volunteer work at the Veterans Administration for vets coming back with PTSD who have deep dark stories and I help them change their story and deal with their chemical dependency. I do a lot of work with people coming in off the street and recovering from drug and alcohol addiction because those are the people whose stories will literally kill them and yes. I buried quite a few people this year alone, people who just believed yes. the stories that weren't true.
1: You know, last week I was with a group of returning citizens, men and women who've been incarcerated for many, many years. And the organizer of that program that had me in was so protective of me. I mean, there was a woman who had killed three men, and, you know, they kept going on. And I remembered sitting there, James, it's like everybody deserves a second chance. I have no idea what you've done. I really don't want to know. It's because they were telling me their stories when they were talking and I said, but what's the story that you'd like to now save? How would you like the final chapter in your book to be? What do you want? And that's what I'm realizing is that we're so stuck on the present or the past that we don't really know how to propel ourselves into the future. So, And I've been there where the past is pushing me down and pushing me back, but the vision mm-hmm. is trying to pull me forward, and there's this tug of war going on within and when i feel that happening i realize no i can't go back there it's done it was great it was whatever it was but there's something in my future that's pulling me those are the thoughts we need to start to believe in like your friend had told you i want to talk about your book that if you say so you mention in it helpers and takers what's the difference between the two
0: Well, my take on the world is there are two kinds of people in the world. And Mm -hmm. and when we kind of come out of our darkness, who do we want to become? And just what you were speaking to, what are we focused on, right? Where are we headed? And I believe there's two kinds of people in the world. There are takers, and they're really easy to spot. And there are helpers. And the greatest people in history have all been helpers. You can point to Mother Teresa, the Dalai Lama, Princess Diana, Martin Luther King. There's so many people who have helped so many and get to that freedom that you were describing in your meditation. And I want to be on that side of history. Me too. And there's the givers and the takers. And it's just the people who are helping. that's who I like to surround myself with. Those are the people Mm -hmm. that I am most attracted to, who I aspire to be like. You You just see what people are doing out there in the world. It's like you said, you pointed to the media. And when I'm coaching people, I tell them, I said, look, if you're plugged in, you're only as good as your input. You know, if you're constantly inputting news from any channel, it doesn't matter if you're blue or red or whatever your belief is, it's really hard to be happy because those people are marketing sensationalistic views, and there is so much good in the world. You know, I tell people go on to Reuters, which is one of the most centrist news (laughs) outlets. Go to Reuters for five minutes, you'll get all the information you need, and then go on about your day. And go out and be amazing and experience joy and help others. And let's clean up our mess and get flat with the universe. This idea of the spoken word, it's not easy, right? We can't just start to talk ourselves into happiness. There's work that needs to be done. And, and in my book, I use a train metaphor that when we come into this life, we're all given this train. And yeah. uh, I use this to kind of explain some lofty spiritual concepts to people who can't quite get their head around more intellectual ideas. And I said, look, here's the trend. You've got the steam engine locomotive. You've got a coal car. You've got the baggage car, the bar car, the dining car, the passenger car, the observation car where we do our meditation. And I explained that, you know, there's a time to go into the baggage car and do the work in therapy or whatever you have to do to feel those unfilled feelings from that childhood trauma and throw some of the baggage out of the car to lighten your load. And then sometimes you can stand in the caboose and reflect upon your travels and achievements. Like for me, I spent a little too much time in the bar car as an Mm -hmm. alcoholic. And so what I explain to these guys is that the furnace in the steam engine locomotive is your passion. That's your soul's desire, what we're here to do. And some people, when I start to work with them, they're broken, and that fire is out, and there's just a smoldering cinder with a whisper of smoke, right? Right. What I explain to them is it's time to get up in the locomotive and put on your overalls and grab the shovel and start shoveling coal into that fire and stoking that fire and stoking those flames to get that fire roaring, which is our mm-hmm. passion. Because some people like to stand, like you said, stand on the caboose looking back at what could have, should have, would have been, and, right. and it's, we're not going anywhere. So We're so comfortable with that. We feel that
1: we are defined by our history. But one of the things I love that you're doing in the book is that, We've got to create another story, though, a new one, which is what's happening now. We're seeing that. Everything is getting absorbed, and we're changing our story. And with all that you've been through, it reminds me of my mother's story, which is very similar, and I admire the triumphant ones that come out of the rubble and the broken pieces and make more of themselves. This might be very personal, but is there a specific story that you're working on personally, especially after hearing and being involved with so many other stories with people because there's one for me has been coming up and it's been so interesting to observe and maybe you can help me on that too during our conversation but I've noticed how sometimes I'm just getting in the way of the divine and the divine Mm -hmm. the treasure store is unlimited and I'm just his instrument so he can do whatever he wants to me but I'm finding that somehow I get in the way of that and so a lot of it gets held back or restricted, and it's so fine-tuned because it's an interpretation that I'm carrying, and I've been paying a lot of attention to that, like shift this, Jen. This is, wait, so is there a particular story for you that you can say, sister, I'm working on that now, and it's been quite provocative or profound?
0: Yes. Uh, wow. So insightful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know, right? Been uh, <laughs> Interesting. I can talk about this stuff for hours and hours because I'm so passionate about this. And I love Mm -hmm. this subject of discovery because you just described how people are comfortable in discomfort. Until you know another way, until you get a taste of true happiness and true joy, you're right. You don't know another way. And what I'm here to say is, no, you know, there are other ways of being. And I see people who live in shame and blame and victimhood, and you just can't be happy. There's no way to be happy living in that space. And ultimately, you know, this country was founded on the pursuit of happiness. People really do want to be happy. And I have a lot of energy and enthusiasm because I have been spared. And I have been one of the few people that didn't have to die an ugly death to come back around and do it again because I'm blessed that way. Going back to your question – and again, I'm very spiritual. I'm not religious particularly because I coach Muslim kids who are – I coach black kids. I coach you know, white kids. I coach Christians and Jews. I'm inclusive. <laughs> I'll say that. What I've learned is I believe we're all looking through different windows at the same sun, really. And so I'll get to the personal piece, but I don't always know what the divine's will for me is, but I know what it isn't. It's because I hate and I listen to the whispers. We're also, we have hair on our arms and in our heads. We're animals. We're spiritual beings having an imperfect human experience. And so we're going to make mistakes. We're going to fall into self-will. But it's when I'm in tune with my instrument, I feel that discomfort and that emotion, that intuition is the divine guiding me. Because I don't always know what God's will for me is, but I know what it isn't. When I'm turning left, when I ought to be turning right, I just know. And one of the stories that I'm working on for me is, as a result of my extended drug use, being a secondhand smoker from the time I was born until I was 18 because everybody in my family smoked, and the house was full of smoke as a child. So my upper respiratory system paid the price for that. And so I occasionally, especially during the winter months, battle with sinus infections that are bad. I've had four sinus surgeries. They get really bad. I get these horrible migraine headaches that are unbearable, and it's really tough. It's really very debilitating. And when I fall into that, I fall into the old story I used to tell myself that, I'm broken, I'm always sick,
1: and -hmm. then I would say
0: I have chronic sinusitis, and I had to change that language around my health because everybody's got something. So I work with people who've recovered from cancer, and I had to tell them, you have to stop saying my tumor, my colitis, my chronic ulcerative colitis because we can be so dramatic. And this goes back to if you say so, the universe Mm -hmm. will let you have that tumor as long as you want to own it. Mm -hmm. We've all seen people using the power of the spoken word by intention, detaching from tumors by saying, I am battling cancer, as opposed to saying, I have a tumor, right? There's a difference in that vernacular. And so letting go of this kind of ownership of this victimhood begins to open up possibility of change. What I've had to start saying is in my morning meditation, I'm healthy, wealthy, and grateful for my life. I'm healthy, Perfect. I'm wealthy, and I'm grateful for my life. I'm not poor. I have a roof over my head, food in my belly, and clothes on my back. So compared to a lot of people on this planet, you're wealthy if you have that. And you can believe that. You don't have to be a multimillionaire to say you're wealthy because I'm rich beyond words with my friends, my family, my partner Elizabeth, who's incredible. I'm sorry, I'm on a bit of a tangent here, but I just wanted to throw this in, <laughs> that you know, I, I live in Beverly Hills, and I get calls to help these very rich and famous people. Who have all this fame and fortune, but they're miserable. They're yes, miserable. Yes. And they want to die, you know. So yes. as we know, money's not the key to success. I'm out here peddling happiness and joy. That's kind of my jam. So
1: Well, that's the way to do it. I mean, that's where we need to be, James. It's definitely that the times that we're in they're calling us to either peddle the division and the hate and the darkness or we pedal the light and pull everybody up with us because The irony to my understanding, and maybe you can concur, this is not going to end. Life is not going to end. The world is not going to end. So if we're spiritual beings and the energy of the soul is forever, it is immortal. I don't worry about thinking that there's a heaven up here. I want to see if there's heaven available right here where I am physically on the ground. I don't want to think too much about up there, right? Let's say, for example, we are eternal And we come back based on the quality of the energy that we have lived. So if I've given more love, then when I come back, I will get and give more love. I'll be the helper, not the taker. And if I've given a lot of hate or sorrow, then that's what I'm going to get back. I used to wonder when I was younger about why is it that sometimes we find ourselves in situations that make no sense, like they're very painful. And I go, What's mm-hmm. in my energy? But only when I got awake and I could ask that question when I was in it. I had no idea there was even a question to ask. There was just a blaming. Right. But when right. you wake up and you're like, what's in my energy that brings this reality to me? And that's where the mm-hmm. work begins. You know, that's where you really start to be your own cheerleader. Because if we keep blaming people for how our lives have turned out, we have lost the book to happiness because it's really about the yeah. fact that you can shift yourself and make yourself better and like what you're saying to change your story absolutely so how's the book doing are you doing any book signing or book tours guess what they're telling me our interview or conversation is over and i'm like that was so short that went fast didn't it thank you right so are there any book tours in the horizon and anything new happening for you in terms of that
0: You are part of my book tour. I'm doing a lot of radio shows, podcasts, and TV shows, and I still run a production company here in Hollywood. That keeps me pretty busy, but the book's doing great. The feedback's been incredible, and you can go to my website, jameszwigert.com. It's S-W-E-I-G-E-R-T, and uh, you can order the book. It's on Audible. It's on Amazon, and if you read the book and you like what you're seeing, please write a review. But, Jenna, you're part of my tour. uh, So this is happening. There you
1: go. Well, if you happen to come on the East Coast in Washington, we would love to host you at our meditation museum. You would love it there.
0: I would be honored. And I do love your spirit.
1: Look, lots of love, lots of good wishes, continued success. And if I ever need you to be my cheerleader, I'm going to give you a call and just keep doing your good work. And unlimited blessings your way, okay? To you as well. Thank Thank you, James. Take care. Bye-bye. What a wonderful, I could go on and on and on with James, but I would have gotten into trouble. So go to James Swigert, that's dot com, and look for his book, If You Say So, My Story and How I Changed It to Save My Life is available now. I think it's time for us to really go into some newness, don't you think? Remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission, and we really are here to love each other the same. And Make the world a better place. We love you. Take care. And I'm going to end today's show with one of my all-time favorite songs called The Rose from Kristen Hoffman. All the best, everyone.
2: got my light inside, but now I'm holding a new sun, and I know this life has just begun.
1: In line at the deli, I guess? ha! Uh-huh, in my dentist's office. More
2: than once, actually.
1: Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA
0: meeting.
2: Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
0: I never win in tell. Well, there you have it. You could get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? At a Robin Hood